I'm out in the field and I'm wondering. The quiet, slow motion days, not really ticking by so much, but walking beside me, shooting the breeze. All of this happens under big night skies. And so I think about why I'm here often. Why this place, this countryside. A random house picked out, surrounded by forest and field. I grew up in the country, and I always knew that I'd end up back here at some point. Something about the pace, it suited me. There's an honesty to the people and to the landscape. But I moved here because it was beautiful. There is a cadence that suits the contemplative. And out here we seem to operate at a farmer's tempo, slowly, methodically, a long walk down the laneway. Welcome to Out in the Field, a podcast about the people and places of Frontenac County, a 4,000 square kilometer chunk of forest, rock, field, and water located in eastern Ontario on Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, and Haudenosaunee land. I've been wanting to tell this story for years, and when I moved here in 2013, I joined the local newspaper as a journalist quickly got to meet many of the interesting characters that call Frontenac County home. Some of them you're going to meet in the following episodes as we travel around the four municipalities, talking to folks about why this place is a great place to call home. It's a special place, and as you get to know the people, I think you'll agree. When I started working on this podcast, I figured it would be smart to call my sister in California to pick her brain about my approach. She's done this kind of thing before, and I needed some advice. I'll talk to you, but it's got to be off the record. Can you, um, so you can hear me perfectly fine? Yeah, you sound, you sound normal. When are you going to start? Who are you calling? Do you even know who you're going to call? Are you going to call them and hopefully somebody can send you to somebody and then somebody can send you to somebody else? Then... Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to try and do. I don't know what else to do. Like, like who would you start with? Uh, I'd start with probably Jeff, the editor at the local paper. I think that's the perfect way to start, actually. I wouldn't start any other way. And then see where it takes you. All right. Okay. Thanks, bye. Bye. Hello? Hey, Jeff, it's Jonas. Hi, Jonas. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Jeff Green's the editor of the local paper, the Frontenac News. It was formed in the early 70s by a group of concerned citizens who used to meet at an old Anglican rectory in Sharba Lake. When I first moved here, the Frontenac News was like a beacon for me. Every Thursday, delivered right to my mailbox. Alongside the usual articles and editorials, the paper features small columns written by people in the community about things that are going on locally. This made getting to know the area pretty easy for a newcomer. Little notes about euchre at the town hall on Friday night, turkey dinner with all the fixins at the church. We're wishing a speedy recovery to Doug, who's back from Florida with a broken foot. It's really sweet. I knew that if I could get Jeff talking, he'd be able to tell me some interesting stories about the area. So, like, it's easy to get people to talk about their life, right? Because these stories are sitting around. They've been polishing them for years, right? And you just push it, and they they, they know what they're saying, because they've said it, right? You know, so... Sooner or later, everyone's local color.
line. Jesus is the answer. Yes, Hope there, please. Yes, this is Hope. This is Hope Attaway. I first met Hope when she was running a small gift shop out of her house in Clarendon. It was called Spyglass Cove. Clarendon is a small village located in central Frontenac. It's on a short road just off of Highway 509, almost like a siding you'd find on a railroad line, which makes sense since it was an old rail town up until the 1960s. The name of her shop, Spyglass Cove, it caught my eye when I was driving north one day, and so I stopped in to check it out. There were cool collections of cassettes, memorabilia, VHS tapes, and she sold pop and chips too. But the coolest thing about the shop was on the back wall there was a collection of handmade books. I had to ask her about them. I started uh, writing um, my stories when I was about 12 years old. Uh, we had come back from Africa. My parents were missionaries, and uh, they started uh, workshops for the physically and mentally challenged and uh, started churches over in South Africa and Zimbabwe. So when I returned, I had sort of a wealth of culture under my belt. So I decided to um, write some stories, and uh, my mom helped me with my first book. It was called Belinda McGregor Mysteries, and I sort of based it on uh, Nancy Drew. And uh, I wrote those for quite a few years. What I tried to do is write uh, stories that were mysteries and romances and children's stories and uh, spiritual stories uh, of Christian experiences, writing about people that I had met. Uh, and uh, when we went to um, Kenya, I was able to really interview like a, a taxi driver. His name was Patrick Omachi. And uh, he was from the Kagamega region, and uh, he had so many amusing stories. That's what I love about travel, because you meet so many interesting people. And he talked about being a fisherman, and he talked about being an actor on the road. And uh, so I wrote quite a few stories about Patrick Omachi, because he really uh, caught my imagination. I love how much hope lights up as she starts to talk about the inspiration for her stories. You can tell she's like a sponge when she's out in the world moving around. Her antenna up, waiting to receive her next story. A character plucked from her life in Africa and then rendered into a mystery novel in Frontenac. He would tell me like where he was from and and uh, like he told a story about uh, crocodiles getting closer and closer uh, as a fisherman. So he decided he didn't want to be eaten by a crocodile, so he became an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I just grabbed me so it was so funny, you know. I just met so many different people that uh, I just sort of, I didn't copy their stories exactly, but I would write them in because they were such interesting characters, so... Uh, yeah, so I just uh, I just enjoyed my hobby. I did find out I just uh, typed out all my uh, my book list, and I've written um, I've written for forty years, and uh, I've written one hundred and eighty six novels. And uh, I did the math one day, and uh, I have uh, done fifteen hundred books that I've typed over my whole lifetime. So I'm just going to step in for one second because what she's talking about is actually how many books she has hand typed on an electric typewriter. No computers involved. She just sits down and methodically 
plunks these things out after she sells a book in her shop? I use an old um, electric typewriter without a ribbon, and I just use carbon paper to type it. I don't have any ribbon now. I just roll in the paper with the carbon paper and do it like a stencil like they used to do because it's so hard to find uh, ribbon for those uh, electric typewriters anymore, even those uh, film-type things. You're still hand-typing every single copy. Yeah, yeah. I only do about three copies at a time. What Hope fails to mention about this whole process is that on the front cover of all these novels is a handmade needlepoint that she makes specifically for each book. Uh, the, The needlepoint has the title of the novel, in it and they get glued to the front cover and they're these beautiful little pieces of folk art that i just love and she sells these books for a dollar i i bought a copy of road to nowhere off you how do you do you have a master copy somewhere that you copy or do you just know it do you memorize it or how do you remember what to type yeah i have a master copy <laughs> yeah i'm not that brilliant unfortunately <laughs> in fact i I've actually forgotten some of my stories until I start reading them again. So. Oh, so when you type it, it's like it's like uh, you're reading it for the first time again or something? Yeah, especially the ones that I've written a long time ago. It, so for um, Road to Nowhere, that was your most popular, I think? is that Was that your most popular one? I think you told me that. Or one of them? It is. It, it was actually my most popular story. Uh, I think it was because it was a, uh, a negative title. Uh, and I, I noticed that quite a few titles that I made that were negative, people bought. <laughs> I actually, uh, I had a, a series that was all about about the road. Like I got Highway of Broken Dreams, uh, Dangerous Curve, uh, all of those negative titles sold really well. <laughs> and I think it's because people travel a lot. And so... Um, they like the idea about the road, eh? You use a, um, a paper um, press, like, you know, that makes those holes. And then I just use a string to t- tie them together. And then um, I use uh, paper that I wrap, uh, you know, wrapping paper. I use uh, that as uh, like a... I, I use normal typing paper and I wrap it with the wrapping paper. Then I glue it all together. I send them to the nursing homes and uh, to uh, relatives and friends. Do you ever take any creative liberty to like edit them or change them? Like as you're working now that you've as you've gotten older and as you continue to retype them, is there moments where you're like, oh, maybe I should change that word to that, or maybe I shouldn't reveal who the you know, this character is until later. Have you? Do you ever change them around, or is it set in stone? The only thing I ever did with a series um, was that Belinda McGregor series. I was 12 years old when I wrote that series, and so the plots were really good, but um, the characters were kind of juvenile, so I rewrote that series. And have you? when's the last time you wrote a, a new story? Are you, like, still still writing new ideas? I uh, did a whole uh, new series. Uh, it's about a bodyguard. His name is uh, Steve Hudson, and uh, he gets into some adventures. <laughs> you can't say too much. Oh, I can, if you wanted to know. Uh, he, so, he... spoiler alert, uh, fans of Hope Attaway's writing, 
Uh, she's going to reveal some pretty massive plot lines here for her new series. He's framed he's for murder, and uh, his reputation is ruined through the press. And uh, so he's got to uh, clear his name, and that's all through the series. He's trying to clear his name, and he does find out who is uh, behind uh, the scenes who tried to frame him for murder. Um, the plot fell through on it right at the beginning. Uh, the person that was supposed to leave him high and dry actually became his airtight alibi. <laughs> and so he works from there to find out... Uh, who hired her to um, hang him out to dry? <laughs> and what's what's that what's that book called? It's a series, or it's uh, that's just one. It, no, it's a whole series. It's called uh, a Steve mystery series. You 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 always have these great names like uh, Steve Hudson. Like, where do you how do you come up with how do you invent names for these characters? I have like a baby book, <laughs> and I I have some fun looking through there to see some sort of popular names and uh, the phone book is another way I'll look through for last names for for people. Sometimes I have uh, just come up with a name and then thought of a, a character but uh, usually I have an idea of the character and then I put the name to the face. <laughs> it does help to, uh, it kind of helps when you do know people, uh, like I don't per se um, put it, them exactly like the person I know, but there's some traits that you know, like that um, Patrick Omachi, uh, he was such a neat guy that I I had a lot of fun writing him through quite a few stories. A lot of these books are like, there's a mystery element to them and stuff of like that. Do you read a lot of mystery? No, I don't actually. Um, I do watch some stories, you know, uh, like uh, Remington Steele and things like that, but really, um, I think I get my ideas from real life, like you sort of hear about um, sort of uh, rumors and in, uh, in the area, or you, you read a newspaper article and say, well, that's a bummer of a story, but I think I could jazz it up a bit. <laughs> this is how you you keep the quiet life in Clarendon a little bit exciting by writing these, you know, mystery thriller novel or I guess they're not thrillers but they're like you know some some moments are a little edge of the seat yeah yeah I have a lot of fun and I really enjoy it as a hobby and uh, I'm always trying to think of new ideas and, and people like yourself really encourage me so that's good
I'm sitting beside a stream. It's nighttime. Things move about in the darkness. Water trembles. A gentle wind moves through the poplar trees and rustles tired leaves. Maybe a barred owl calls out. Maybe I'm hearing things. Hey, Huey, it's Jonas. Did I catch you at a good time, or is it dinner? Oh, I just finished dinner, and I'm going to have an ice cream cone. This is Huey Gray from Mountain Grove, the village I live in. Huey's one of my best buddies in the area. He's helped me out of a pinch many times, has a great knack for telling stories from the olden days, and is just a hilarious guy to hang out with. He's always making me laugh, but I also always learn something from him when we hang out. When I was first building my studio here, he was the guy that helped me get started. Leveling the land in his bulldozer, bringing me gravel, and also threatening to cut down my lilac bushes. He just couldn't stand the smell. That was years ago and he's still bringing it up. Whenever we visit them, Huey and his sweet wife Sylvia, they always teach us a bit about the town and the people that have lived here. I told Huey I was going to give him a call for this podcast, see if he could kind of tell me some stories of his youth. Eventually I got him talking. I can't think of a story other than the wind's blowing. The wind's blowing. And the... Well, the one story I kept thinking about was the time that you told me you rode... You rode was it you rode somebody's cows through the field here? Oh, that was Marjorie Byers' cow. See, they were on both sides of the road, eh? So we used to, they used to keep them pastured over in there, over by the where the towers are, eh? 
They pastured all that right up to number seven highway. That's all swamp there, though. Isn't no, it? it isn't all swamp. There's a great big hill there. From, uh, there's field right there for a ways, eh? Then you go up in a great big hill. Now, see, Barton Bradley used to own all that. He owned right across number seven. Well, the dump is today. That was part of the Barton Bradley farm, eh? This is one thing I love about talking with Huey. We just jump around from one thing to the next. A question about riding a cow turns into a vivid history of the roads in the area and who used to live where. Did he own where your pit was? No, no, he didn't own where the pit was, but he owned right down to the... He owned right to the... to the swamp road, though, right across there. But the, the dump is was high land, but he owned that right to the swamp road and then right up and butt. And right there, I own a little piece there up near the... Up near the pit, and, and Grandpa bought that from Barton years ago, so we could see they changed Number Seven Highway. So when he lived there, he cut that out so he could see Number Seven. Eh? So he bought it from Barton. Why did he want to see the highway? Well, he just wanted to see cars going. This is back in the <laughs> 1930s, eh? Why wouldn't you want to see the highways? About probably four cars a day. Huey's talking about Highway Seven. It runs horizontally across the county of Frontenac, and this section was built in the 1930s during the Great Depression. It was a public works employment project. It's the main road through Frontenac, and it connects us to the rest of the province. Legend has it over 2,700 men blasted rock, dredged swamps, and dealt with epic black flies and mosquitoes to make this section of the highway a reality. It was uh, seven and probably there for 15 years when I was born. Dad remembers it. He would have traveled Belline Road to get to Perth then. But would he have ever went, though? Would he, would he go that far? Would, oh, Jesus, he didn't worry about nothing. He, the sky was on him with Harold. He didn't know my dad. He never stopped anywhere. He knew what's going on in the world. That's where you got it, that's where you got it from. <laughs> what you mean? <laughs> like I said, we jump around when we talk. I'm going to bring him back now to the cow story. So we lived right there, so we're all around there. All the, we're right there, neighbors. Eh? So I used to go back and get her cattle and to come out and milk them at night, eh, and so, and so they'd be out in that pasture over there. I don't know, I'd be six to, six to eight, ten years old, I guess. So how did you end up riding them then? How the hell did you, how do you get on a cow? Well, she wasn't a cow, it was a cow, a Jersey cow. That's you, how do you get, if you're just a little guy, if you're just like ten years old, how the... Well, they're only a little cow, a Jersey cow, right? She was Marjorie's pet cow. Marjorie never had any kids, so her cows... Well, her pets, eh? She had, that That was one of her pet cows. What was the cow's name? Oh, God, I don't know what she called it now. She had, She used to keep a diary of them all. She named every cow, calf, the birth dates and everything. Well, I was told not to do it. Marjorie told me not to ride that cow because she might get, in, uh, might get in trouble, but I don't think she ever, because I used to get off it before I'd, she'd see me, eh? <laughs> I don't know if she ever did know I rode it. She just surmised, I think. I get right, I go over across the road there and get on the damn thing <laughs> and ride it to the gate. Then I'd let it go, let the car just open the both gates, eh? Let them go across your road there. And then get back out again and ride it over towards the side of the barn. Then get off it again before Marjorie could see me. I think the car was nervous girl. Now that you mention it, now that I think about it, I think it was Carol. I think so. <laughs> but she didn't. But that's not a very big story about me riding Marjorie's old Jersey cow. 
<laughs> it's just funny to picture a little kid on a cow riding across the field. <laughs> it wasn't a very big cow. A Jersey cow was not very big, eh? It was a full-size cow. And you know, the Jersey's, well, get, your, get some pictures and look at them. They're only just a little wee cow, eh? But they got rich and milked out of Holstein, I guess, but not as much Elba. I looked up a picture of a Jersey cow, and they're huge. I mean, it's a cow. It's a, a massive cow. Maybe not as big as a Holstein, but... Oh, no, yeah, it was quiet. It was as tame as a... as a anything, eh? Did you always ride Carol, or was there other ones you rode? No, no, she was the only tame one. <laughs> I don't know, I never tried. The others were too big, eh? Holsteel, Holsteins and Ayrshire's and stuff, they were too big to get on. They'd probably be... They'd probably buck you off or deal with what the hell they do. Eventually, we move from one form of transportation to another, from the cow to the train. And I asked Huey what it was like when the train actually used to pass through the village of Mountain Grove. Oh, it was probably slowing down by then. It wasn't, and the train the train was still going through. It was still going, yeah, because my brother and I had the last ride on the passenger train that went through there that that day. Mom put us on the train. We went to Perth, and she picked us up in Perth. That was the last day they ran. And she wanted us to have a ride in the train. I don't quote me on this for sure, but I think the freight run for about another eight or ten years. Because like I said, Dad used to put lumber on the train. Eh? They had boxcars. They had, they had a siding. You know what a siding is, eh? Well, they lined up in there and they'd fill the boxcars with lumber and stuff like that. I remember that. I think the last trains, well, Sylvia and I were married when the last trains went. We've only been married for 52 years, so I'd say probably probably 50 years ago the last train ran here. That's, when you think of 50 years, that's quite a little while. I've always liked how we connect memories, remembering where we were when we heard a song for the first time, or how the smell of roasted chestnuts will always bring me back to the town hall where I grew up, and with that I hear the hammer dulcimer being played at a Christmas concert. This time it's as the train leaves Mountain Grove, Huey's ship comes in, and he marries Sylvia. All this talk of trains is timely, as there is conversations going on right now about potentially bringing a passenger train service that would run from Toronto to Quebec City right through the middle of Frontenac County. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever happen in our lifetime. And by the time they get around to it, we won't be using trains or planes or, or cars. Either one, we'll be just, we'll just think about something and we'll be just like Dr. Spot or whoever that guy was. We'll just sink ourselves right from Mountain Grove to, for, to Toronto, just in a, like a, in a blink, eh? All your molecules break down, you end up in Toronto. Time travel, sort of thing. Time travel through space. That's going to happen, but I'll be in heaven then only, so I don't need to worry. If you could travel, where would you go? I wouldn't go anyplace. I, I, I like it right here. <laughs> Why would you go anyplace? You got it all here. I couldn't agree with you more, Huey. 
Thanks for listening to Out in the Field, a podcast about the people and places that make up Frontenac County. The show is produced by me, Jonas Bonetta, in Mountain Grove, Ontario. Hit up our website at outinthefieldpodcast.com and check out the show notes for more information on our guests in this episode. There you'll also find links to the music, poems, and other stuff that made this episode come together. Don't forget to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts and tell your neighbors about it too. Stay safe. Peace. But anyways, I gotta let you go because I'm tired of talking to you. Good night.